Thank you for listening to the Missio Day Uptown Podcast. We are a church committed to our neighborhood, seeking to love and serve our beautifully unique community as we join God as he makes all things new. To learn more about us, visit mduptown.com. Good morning, Missio Day. Uh, let's first give those who came before me our scripture reading, Tiana, the worship team, a round of applause. They did an excellent job. Um, I would like to thank you all for allowing me to be here this morning to bring the word of God. But all I am is a it that's bringing a message. Again, we are here to celebrate the Lord and worship the Lord. I understand this first thing in the morning, but this will require your participation, a little celebration, a little testimony, because we are only here by the grace of God because there's someone who didn't wake up this morning. There is someone who got bad news. And again, there was someone door who was skipped that the Grim Reaper didn't visit. So we are grateful for the little things that we call life. So for those of us who are here today, we are not only focusing on justice, but we are also focusing on those who have yet come to Christ. And we will be their intercessors. And that will be the premise of the scripture reading as well as the sermon that I am presenting today. And at this moment, if we can bow our heads in prayer. Lord, we come to you in the name of Jesus. We lift our hearts and our spirits collectively in prayer this morning. We pray for the safety and well-being of the faculty, staff, and students of Michigan State University as they prepare to return to classes. We pray that we find healing as a community, as a nation, and globally. We pray for those families in Syria and Turkey, that you may be with them, that you may lead them and guide them, and that those who are called to be missionaries may appear and be the light of that space and of this world. Lord, we pray that you will cover all who are suffering from mental health illnesses, the migrants who are being displaced, the homeless, the imprisoned, the outsider, and the oppressed. May Christ enter the hearts of the non-believers, strengthen their faith and resolve, you know our hearts. We pray that your will is done. We pray that whatever is on the heart of those who are present with us today, that you heard their cries and their groans through the spirit, even as they walk in faith. In the name of Jesus, we pray all these things because we know no word comes to you unreturned without some form of growth. In Jesus' name we pray this morning, collectively, amen. So this morning we will be examining Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. But before I go through the manuscript, I would just like to give a little background to the Ephesians for you to understand that this epistle was a little bit different than the previous ones Paul wrote. For example, it has been disputed among the church fathers and some of the scholars whether Paul wrote this. Nevertheless, for all intents and purposes, we will read this as if it was written by the hand of Paul because it is the divine word of God. With that being said, I would ask that as you listen to what I'm saying, that you think about your own selves and your own lives and where you have taken a step back, where you have struggled, where you have given up, where you have lost faith. And I will ask you to think about those who have supported you, those who have prayed for you, and those who have called on you. When I first read this passage, I thought about division and reconciliation through God's power. With the state of the world, this is what we as believers in Christ pray for, reconciliation. Nevertheless, 
This was not the word that God gave me to bring to you this morning. God told me to ask you, who are you suffering for? Is it possible for you to be intercede on behalf of another and not experience some form of suffering? I can imagine the discomfort that this singular word brings to your body and to your mind. Yet, Christ and all who have been called have went through some sort of pain, distress, and hardship. Guess what? So do non-believers. The difference is that for believers, God states that my grace is sufficient for thee. Ephesians 3.14 is not a petition or supplication from Paul to God. Instead, he is interceding and praying on the behalf of others. I want us to pause here. And as I told you in the beginning, I would need you to participate. So in this moment, just close your eyes and I want to tell you a story and take you on a journey. I want you to just imagine being in the darkest, deepest, and smelliest cell of a dungeon called prison. All the while, memories of the good life, prestige, family, and even well-prepared meals sporadically surface to the forefront of your thoughts. Now, here is Paul suffering and advocating for the same group that he zealously chased, tortured, and persecuted. He has had poor to zero lighting. He has had poor to zero ventilation. There is no daily discarding of the waste. Only imagine what it smells like. Remember, originally, by all intents and purposes, he is Jewish. What passes his food is served to him as if he were swine. At any time, he was subjected to being shackled. Yet, still, he is writing, praying, guiding, and interceding on the behalf of fellow Christians. So at this moment, you may open your eyes. And I look around and I ask you, who are you praying for? Who are you suffering for? Who are you sacrificing for? It is easy to pray for friends, family, neighbors, ideas, and concepts that you can relate to. It is difficult to pray for people that you are not in proximity to or with. Because until you are in proximity, you will not understand their hearts. From their hearts flows their complexities and nuances and identity. It is difficult to pray for the needs of a people that you do not see because you have set them aside. It is difficult to intercede and pray for someone that you have judged, condemned, and found fault. Who willingly suffers for someone that they do not see themselves in or can relate to. Paul was a prisoner. He could have renounced Christianity. He could have claimed his Roman citizenship. He could have returned to power and prestige. No, he suffered for others because he knew God's grace was sufficient. This is the good news this morning. 
God's grace is sufficient. Sometimes we forget it could have been worse, but God's grace is sufficient. We forget that although we lived through a pandemic, for the good or the bad, if we lived through it and we are on the other side of it and God is still good, his grace was sufficient. So as we sit today, some people didn't ever think the church would come back together, but Christ had other ideas. His grace is sufficient. And from Paul's perspective, to show you how God's grace is sufficient, and to remember that Paul is human. So as I stand here before you, I don't say this in vain. I don't say this to condemn you, because Paul was human. And I will tell you a little bit about what Paul went through. So as he took on this journey and this task, understand that he also called out to God. Paul is flesh and blood. He wrestled with the same conundrums that we wrestle with. For example, he has written, for I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Right there, that's a testimony, because I'm quite sure there's a lot of us in here that want to go left but continue to go right. Marriages are not easy. There are ups and downs. Children are not easy to raise. You can do the best you can with them, but sometimes there will be bad days. So recognize none of us do that which we always want to do. Nevertheless, God's grace covers us. Paul didn't only pray, but he pleaded with God, not one time, but three times, for a thorn to be removed from his side. God's response was, my grace is sufficient unto thee, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Take a moment to recognize that. For all who puff themselves up, for all who consider themselves strong, where do you leave room for God to come in and say? Because his power is only manifested in our weakness. It's when we submit, when we pray, when we call out, that we actually manifest the power of Christ individually and collectively. St. Augustine stated, there is no saint without a past and no sinner without a future. And I stand before you as one of those who have a past of a sinner, whether I drugged, whether I drank, whether I was part of the SRA through being in prison for being wrongfully convicted. But at that time, I wasn't living a righteous lifestyle. So can I truly complain about the circumstances I found myself in when I did not give my life to Christ? So I stand before you today as someone that has a past, but also walking in the future. And I stand before you by the grace of God. So recognizing that I did not get here by myself. I got here through the help of a Christian community and those who truly believed, that advocated, that interceded, that prayed, even when I myself was walking in darkness. So a lot of times, as I talked to the brother this morning, it's easy for us to sit here blemish free and look good, but you wasn't saved to look good. You were saved to give your testimony to go back to the weak because the power that you have does not come from you. It comes from Christ. So understand that your testimony is meant to save. Salvation comes through Jesus Christ, but he first comes to us through faith in our hearts. And understanding that, as I speak to you today, I am one who was once a sinner. And I preach to you today, not as one who condemn you, but one that asks you to pray for someone that you don't see a future in. Prior to this prayer and intercession, Paul declared that they were all dead in their transgressions and sins before they received the grace of Christ, meaning they all followed the desires and cravings of the flesh. Recently, I have heard and read more commentary, backlash, anger, and opinion about Tarsus Cobb's prayer for Beyonce than I have heard about the systemic violence that is going on globally. 
I have yet to see a human being who is beyond God's grace and love. Why do Christians seem to amplify their voices when they are dissenting publicly about other Christians? I would like you to listen to this prayer from gospel singer Tasha Cobb on behalf of Beyonce. I'm praying for Beyonce today. Father, I pray that she will feel your presence very near her today. I pray that your presence will fill any void and bring her unspeakable joy. Let her home be a sanctuary for you to meet with her. I pray that she will find rest and safety in you. I pray that her home will be a place of peace. I pray that her family will grow strong together. I pray that anything that will come to distract their peace will be counseled now in Jesus' name. I pray that you will erase her cares and concerns. Make every burden light, cover and protect her from all evil, all harm, and all sickness and disease. Cover her heart and her mind from any thoughts or ideals that are not good and perfect. Protect her from the weight of greatness. Allow her to enjoy the wins and grow from the losses. Lastly, the prayers that she may be praying in secret. Hear her and allow your will to be done. In Jesus' name, amen. This was the prayer that Tasha Cars prayed publicly and posted on Instagram that various Christian communities spoke out against. Oregon of Alexandria wrote, where there is division, there is sin. So as a community, we have publicly sinned and our public response to Beyonce and those things that she do only because Tasha Cobb chose to pray, chose to intercede. And this is what we are reading about today with Paul, intercession. This is what the Justice Creed was about, intercession and praying and understanding that God's righteousness and love covers everyone, even in the midst of the darkness. What was the purpose of the public condemnation of Tasha Cobb and Beyonce? Where was this public and Christian outcry approximately a month ago when it was reported that another young African-American male died at the hands of police while being detained? Initially, this story was different because it was alleged that the beating of the young black male was by black officers. Of course, no one could blame racism. Later, it was reported that a white officer involved because he tased this young man. This white officer's name was initially withheld from the public and the media. This white officer was placed on desk duty pending investigation. On the other hand, the black officers were fired immediately, their names were public, and the department appeared to be transparent. Where was the community response then? Where were the Christian public prayers for the loss of life amidst a sin-filled broken world? Where was the love from the Christian community? Paul prays that the Ephesians are rooted and grounded in love, that they may have power together with all the Lord's holy people. Earlier in this epistle, Paul writes, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you. Again, Paul explained that they all lived according to the world at one time. However, through their faith in Christ, they have found life and grace. Human love is conditional. It keeps count, it's harmful, selfish, and seeks to fulfill the desires of the flesh. On the other hand, God's love is salvific. 
This love leads to an inner change which is manifested through change in behaviors. Christ is the light, the truth, and the way. Everlasting life comes through faith in Jesus. Love is an inequality expressed outwardly as a commitment to seek the well-being of others through concrete acts of service. If we continue to read, we see in verse 16 that the riches which Paul prays for is power through God's spirit in our inner being. He is not talking about being released from prison, nor is he discussing how to change the power structure through the attaining of wealth or worldly accolades. Paul is not praying for himself. He is interceding for others. He is suffering for others. Paul is not interceding and requesting that the persecution starts for Christians overall. In our aforementioned example, there is racism, systemic oppression, inequity, and a power structure that produces death and destruction. In verse 17, Paul prayed for them to be rooted and established in love, that they will have power. This prayer for power was not individualistic. It was an intercession and an example of what they should be praying for through their faith. Christ may dwell in their hearts of the believers. God can send power through the spirit, but these acts are null and void where there is no faith. Again, this is formulaic. First, it begins with faith. The next is that we pray that Christ enters the hearts of individuals. And after, and after Christ enters the heart, then we pray as a community that Christ and God may send the power that we may move out as one unit rather than divided and separated. We see that this power is being shared together with all the Lord's holy people. If only they will be able to grasp how wide, how long, how high, or how deep. Pay attention to my hands. How long? I can only reach but so far. God's love surpasses all of this. I go forward. God loves. Front or back, God loves surpasses all of that. And no matter how deep I go, even with this concrete, God's love surpasses all of that. While it appears to be intangible, it is tangible. But what you see is through your eyes. But God is present through the Spirit. So we have to understand that when Paul talks about the knowledge of the, and the love of God, which surpasses all understanding. Understand that I'm using my senses and I'm using my body, but I have to also go inwardly because God first breathed into man and that's what gave him life. And understand that when God connects to us, he connects to our spirit. So therefore we must worship him and pray in spirit. And this love that we seek to understand must not be a conceptual or a mental love or something that you are using through your senses, but it's through faith and understanding that we walk always in faith and in hope. Power is not supposed to oppress, exploit, segregate, gossip, kill, or perpetuate violence. If you have a power or associated with any power that does these things, then you are still walking with the principalities of this world and understanding that you are not working or striving to usher in the kingdom of God because he stated, that the lamb shall lay down with the lions. That is the true kingdom of God, when we can come together and lay down, regardless of our differences, our values, our political ties. The fact of the matter is that there is only one kingdom, one ruler, and that is Jesus Christ. In closing, 
Organ of Alexandria stated, again, where there is division, there is sin. Let's always be mindful that as a community, we have to be united. We saw in the New Testament where Jesus asked who was in Legion, who was in the man that was possessed, and he stated legion, for we are many. So we recognize just through there that even Satan, they move strategically, tactically, and as a unit. So we recognize that the devil knows scripture. They are organized. They are militaristic. Then why aren't we as Christians combating that by being organized, unified, strategic, as we go out and proclaim the gospel and understand that all of us may not make it to the finish line, but we will all run our race because God gives to each of us according to his understanding, according to what he believes we can handle. So think about the talents, one, five, and ten. Not meant for me to have ten if he gave me five. Let me make the most out of my five, run my race. And wherever I fall, hope that the community can continue to go on in the good fight. In Christ, there is no division. There are only many parts. Ignorance is truly bliss. How often do we walk past someone that we could get to know personally, but we don't because of the burden that comes with knowing? How often do we skip a passage in the Bible because of the burden that comes with following Christ? Intercession looks like learning the essence and identity of a person rather than viewing, intellectualizing, or creating an abstract concept called other. Paul was in prison for the proclamation of the gospel. Paul suffered for the outsider. This is the gospel and mystery for which Paul suffered on the behalf of others. The flesh sees and judges according to outward appearances. The flesh leads to division, sin, and death. Our faith, prayer, and intercession should lead to unity, courageous speech, actions, and proximity to the outsider. Together, let's amplify our prayers and intercession as a community to bring peace and the love of God that surpasses all knowledge. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Missio Day Uptown Podcast. We are a church committed to our neighborhood, seeking to love and serve our beautifully unique community as we join God as he makes all things new. To learn more about us, visit mduptown.com.